says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. It's Thursday, which means it's preview podcast time. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me, as always, is my main man, 60s. Plenty to talk about this week, mate, but how are you holding up first? Oh, mate, it's never ideal, is it, when you're coming off a, the sort of loss that we had over the weekend. Uh, it hasn't been the the best of reactions from a small minority in the just a Eels few just a base. few toxic reactions on social media and whatnot. That's okay. Yeah, and and look, how about I I start off with a few comments on that because I'd, yeah, I'd like to get a little let's bit do some housekeeping. Out of the way right yeah, now. Let's do a bit of housekeeping here because I know you had a, a nice piece on fan reactions in response to the loss in Darwin and how there were. And I think not just you, but also on the media too, watching 360, there was a, an interesting argument between the entitlement that members and fans have in order to criticise players, which is something we've always upheld on TCT. And you're right to criticise critically and not you know without, uh, without reason. But uh, on the flip side, we've also seen some vitriol, and I say some, but you've seen plenty of vitriol and real nastiness creeping into a lot of the talk about the Parramatta Reels. Yeah. Now... First of all, let's let's draw a distinction and a very clear distinction between uh, critical comments based on performance and personal attacks. And uh, so the, I mean, the simplest example would be to say Joe Bloggs had um, a rather poor game. He did this, 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 and this. Um, the uh, the the sort of comments that you wouldn't like to see out of that was Joe Bloggs is a piece of shit who should never be selected in first grade because he's completely useless. You know, words to that effect. Mm -hmm. And and whilst I'm not being verbatim with some of the comments that have been seen, we weren't talking about comments that are too far away from that because – it's and it's not only comments directed at players; it's comments directed at players, friends, and families too. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that's, social, that's the social media dogpile means that not only have players been attacked for their efforts on the field and not being critically attacked, but like you said, we're talking about ad hominems and you know character assassination essentially. But they're going after friends and family, and that's just something that should not ever be tolerated. And unfortunately, the social media age means that you know behind the guise of anonymity. A lot of people get uh, a lot more bravado than I always have, but you know, like I said, on TCT as always, if you're going to come here and talk about the game and talk about you know why someone had a bad game, that's fine, and it's it's fine to argue that someone should be dropped or someone else should be selected because a player's missed tackles or has failed to execute. But like we said, in, on in terms of social media, just the vitriol coming out of this game. And you know, it wasn't just around Jake Arthur too. There plenty of other players copped it as well, but Jake was certainly the one in the spotlight. It's just not on. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you disagree with us, then you probably don't have a place on TCT. But otherwise, if you're going to come on and, and like we said, talk in good faith and, uh, you know, argue critically about why a player should or shouldn't be picked, that's fine. Carry on as you always did. Yeah. And and as I said, that's where we want to draw a clear distinction because uh, supporters are invested in their team. They're invested emotionally, they're invested financially, they're invested time-wise. That's that's what we do as supporters. 
and we have the right. I mean, that sort of passion is what rugby league's all about. So we'll argue, we'll debate team selections, we'll debate form, we'll debate recruitment and retention. There's a, a whole list of things around the game, the coaching, the, the, you know, the, the, the way the salary cap's being spent. There's a whole list of things that will be discussed around around the, the team and the club and, and what have you. And that's fair enough. And it's fair enough to talk about things that you're not happy about or things that you want changed. That's the beauty of, of, of our sport, that it creates opinions and it creates debate. And you want to see that sort of thing because it's, the, the game thrives on it. If If everyone had the same opinion and all the games were the same, then we'd have a pretty boring sort of existence following the NRL. But that's a very different line, as I said, to to Mm -hmm. what we saw. So I wrote an editorial post and I was prompted by the scenario that we'd faced on social media over the weekend. And for the most part, a lot of people, there were a lot of people there that were basically saying, you know, um, they went back into the, the um, team selections and things like that. And, I, uh, and some of it was on point. Some of it wasn't on point. Um, there was a couple of uh, people there that were basically just trolls themselves who were, who were there, one in particular, but I'm not going to give that any, any, uh, any airspace whatsoever now. Um, but just going back over it, um, I'd, I'm at the stage where I'd, I'd like to be putting that behind us because even if there's one or two people out there who piled on and piled on without really thinking and then thought to themselves, imagine if I was, if, if my, someone I cared about, be it a son, a daughter, a, a relative, a close friend, was being subjected to comments like that, how would that be? How would I feel about that? How would that person who's close to me feel about that? It's that lack of empathy that really grinds the gears in general, isn't it? When it's all this dogpiling is happening and and there's no self-reflection at a moment to say, like you said, if it was someone that I cared about and it happened to them, they were getting absolutely crucified on social media for having a bad day at the office, you know, in in a team that had a very bad game as well. You know, know, they're going after individuals in a a massively whacked team effort in testing conditions and yeah, the lack of empathy is really upsetting, I suppose. Yeah. So if, if by putting it, the debate out there or, or, or highlighting what had transpired in terms of the worst of it, maybe people, there might be some people out there who reflected on that for a moment and thought to, thought to themselves, look, I probably didn't do the right thing. And if that, if, if it helps with a couple of people, then I'm happy with that, I don't expect the people who really go out there and, and hammer in are likely to change because I think they're going to be the sort of people that are just going to do it regardless. I, I you know, unfortunately, that's how the, the world is these days with um, people who suddenly become brave on uh, behind a keyboard. That's just the that's just the world that we live in. Um, but hopefully, there might be some people that, as I said launched into it with you know something that's a little bit away from how they might normally be and they took a moment to reflect on it and and if it helps to change a, a couple of people then as I said I, I'm I'm happy with that but we we do need to move on because I don't really like to um, focus too much 
on the negative this week because we've got a we've got a, a big task ahead of us. But one thing that I do want to say because there was um, a bit of a kickback um, that happened um, towards me, and it was uh, and and I quickly want to address it because I could have gone in there and addressed it a few times on the on the post, but I had it mentioned to me today. Um, where has this come from? I, I've never known you to say this, uh, 60s. And I've said, well, no, I don't say it. So basically the, the, the accusation was made that I was trying to um, change tact in terms of my opinion about Dylan Brown uh, versus, uh, versus Jake Arthur. And I, well, I think that this is humorous, isn't it? Because... We've been pretty clear in our admiration for... Dylan Brown. We 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 went on record putting. I won't so, go so far as to say putting our reputations on the line because we're just a couple of amateur podcasters. But all through last year, we were very vocal in defending Dill. In a year where he had plenty of critics, and probably from the same faction, they're going after Jake right now uh, for having those offensive struggles and not having more than two was it two tries for the entire season. Uh, when we argued that he was just twenty years old and there's plenty of time for him to develop comes out of the box this year and all of a sudden he's now been hailed as one of the elite playmaking five apes in the competition. And all of a sudden the script is being flipped and, you know, we're the ones that rate Jake Arthur over Dylan Brown in the halves, which is uh, kind of mind-boggling in a way. Well, when we were talking last year, the sorts of things that we were raising was that the the structures on the, on the left-hand side around Dylan often involved Clint Gutherson coming in after Dylan with, or on the end of a Dylan Brown pass and Gutho often providing the try assist. Um, it spoke about how there, there are two parts of the game, offence and defence, and you had Dylan Brown in a class of his own, a complete class of his own defensively and saving tries left, right and centre. And, and it was I, I argued last year, a try saved is just as valuable as a try scored. So if he's out there and he's shutting down, either directly shutting down two or three tries per game or just his defensive movements are shutting down potential line breaks two or three times a, a game, and that is exactly what he was doing, um, that I, I, I said that I can't understand the arguments for people that want him moved out of the halves and finding other options. And... As we just were saying, this was the argument that was out there last year, and we railed against that. And at the start of this year, after the preseason, my exact words were that that Jake Arthur was arguably the star of the preseason, and it was going to be unfair because he was going to have to be left out of the team because you there was no way that you would move Mitch Moses or Dylan Brown, and they were my words. And simply because I stood behind the option of using Jake on the bench in round one and said, well, look, that it provides a backline alternative and can provide cover there, um, people were saying that I was, I, was, I think, su- suggesting that Jake should be in for Dylan Brown or that or that Dylan should be moved to centres to accommodate Jake in the halves, which was not what I was saying at any point during that. And I think in the last podcast I I said that we need Jake uh, we need Dylan Brown back in the halves because Dylan Brown in the halves is what is going to take us closer to 
a title this year. And I've never backed away from that. But by the same token, anyone that suggests that Jake Arthur is not a, a talent also hasn't been watching the game because he brings in a different quality to what our Harbs do. And I think he has an option elsewhere in the team. Now, whether that's off the bench or whether that's a positional change, I don't know. But Jake is at the stage now where he's being given little snippets of experience in first grade, which is exactly what is someone his age would typically be getting. And I don't see what the why people are, are so upset about uh, what has transpired with his selection. And, and let's just remember from, from the point of view that I, I, did, I did hear um, a good explanation of this because we've talked about how many players are out in the Eels. Oh, I think, we, I think we, we've spoken about it in the past. We had it well past the fifth or sixth combination that the Eels have burnt through in terms of injuries. We had it somewhere in the vicinity of seven, eight, or even nine layers deep in the centre wing uh, issue. Yeah, so basically when we've got an outside back, uh, like just it's an absence, an absence of outside backs, that Dylan Brown, out of the players that are there, that are available for selection, Dylan Brown becomes about the eighth option to play in the centres. That's how deep we are in options to play at either centre or wing. And uh, there's been suggestions... Um, and, and and as I said, like Jake's the other player that is available, and he's not going to be playing out in the centres. He's going to be he's going to be playing in the half. So you have that selection decision that are, that's made when we are like seven or eight deep into selection options. Now, I also had it suggested to me during the week that uh, we only have a roster of twenty eight, and that. That's why we don't have players available. And all we have to do is elevate one or two players from the New South Wales Cup to solve the problem. And with respect to the players that are there, I'd say to those people, have a look at what the options are in terms of NRL experience. Bear in mind that you've got a problem that's going to last three to four weeks at the most. Right over the over this next few weeks, the majority of these players are going to be available again. We've already seen now um, that we've had Tom Opachik come back. You've got Sean Russell making his return in New South Wales Cup. Over the next few weeks, you're going to see uh, Mike Asivo return. You'll see Wonga Blake return. You'll see Murata Nukore return. So all of those options will start to come back into the team. So for a period of about three to four weeks where we have to maybe cover players and maybe have people slightly out of position, the option is to to elevate someone who we are then committing a top 30 spot to for the rest of the, of the year and maybe have to even sort out something for next year. And that's there's a big opportunity cost in that because the moment that you commit a top 30 spot to someone from within, and let's say you made no plans to do that this year, you are at the same time removing your opportunity to go into the market this year 
if a player becomes available that you are interested in. Maybe you just don't get it, don't get the opportunity to chase that player because you've given away your top 30 spots. And that's the that's at the core of the issue. So um And clearly yeah. the, the injury issue just got bigger and bigger and bigger than the club ever anticipated it getting. You don't go that many layers deep on the injuries. Um, you know, and even something like Murata Niakori coming back from a suspension which led to him getting a calf injury at training, which then on his return against the West Tigers resulted in a hamstring injury. Like that that's a sort of uh, almost impossible bad luck that you, you cannot budget from or budget on in terms of roster construction. Yeah. And and the other thing is to let's have a look at some a uh, couple of the other options. First of all, Bryce Cartwright doesn't come into consideration for a centre position. He's at the moment, he's playing um, an edge forward position coming off the bench. He hasn't played a full game in NRL for some time. He's just wasn't under consideration. Um, the next, uh, uh, bear in mind, I've got a high opinion of Bryce Cartwright. And I, I went on record last year saying that I expected him to prove his worth through the season. And I'm I'm probably a little bit disappointed that he hasn't had the game time that I would have liked to have seen him get. So in me saying it just wasn't an option, that's what circumstances have, have dictated now. The other suggestion was playing Maddow out in the centres. This I don't get. This I don't get one bit because... I think the people Bruce, saying that are thinking of Madison from about three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Madison now is so different in size and mobility to the Ryan Madison from about three or four years ago. It's not funny. Um, we should probably say four or five years ago because he just kept getting bigger the last three years at Parramatta. And this isn't but, a negative because on the flip side, he is absolutely dominant in his role as middle forward now. The, the, well, that was going to be my point because the as we've moved him towards being a middle forward, he's... He's not just coped with that role. He's excelled in yeah, it so much so that with Marana Nukore missing from um, his bench role, Ryan Madison has been the impact forward off the bench. And even more than that, he has been arguably the best player on the field mm-hmm. for the last two rounds as someone coming off the bench playing around half a game. He's averaging 190-something metres across the last two games as a middle rotation forward. He is absolutely killing it. Ab- absolutely killing it. So you're talking about someone who is playing their best football, both uh, with the ball and against the ball, playing in the middle, and you want to shift him a few positions wider than that. So we're talking about not shifting him to an edge forward position, not shifting him – and we're, here I'm talking about defence as, as well as offence – so not shifting him to an edge forward, moving one out, not shifting him two out to a 5-8 position, but shifting him three out to a centre defensive position. And I don't think that people understand that, that, that defending at centre is quite a unique skill. Like the skill that's needed to defend at centre yeah, the decisions that have to be made, not to mention the fact that you've got to be tackling one-on-one against people with a good step and pace mm-hmm. as well. It's completely different to defending around the middle, so where you're often defending alongside two or three other people in the same tackle. So um, 
that's as I said that it's it's not even a comparison that you could make because the roles are so completely different. And as we said, Maddow's just simply become an outstanding middle forward at the moment, and he's surely stating the case. And I know it's a little bit off topic in saying it, but he's surely stating his case to have his contract extended now at the Eels rather than because he is other clubs can approach him now. Yes, correct. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, no doubt he's feeling offers. I've got a feeling Maddo would like to stay at Parramatta and really what has to be worked out is the money. But given the forwards that we're, we've got leaving next year, geez, uh, like I, I think he becomes a, a high priority. And he's, I believe, 28, 28 this year, so he's definitely got one more prime contract left in him where he'll be still, you know, at his peak as an athlete. So I'd be very happy to see the two parties come to a, an, an agreement at some point in the near future. Uh, and I, I think, you know, in that, across the duration of that new contract, he might end up even ascending towards starting lock forward in the team. Uh, it all, but that all depends on roster construction because we've made such a big point about talking about impact from the bench being so crucial for a good team. And, you know, you look at what Murata does and what Madison has done in recent weeks and how much of a difference that can make when, you know, two good teams clash and having that second rotation maintain a stranglehold on the contest. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I, I, I'm going to suggest anyway that just to wrap things up, ugly stuff in the social media, which is a complete distinction from um, critics about the uh, performance or team selections. Um, when it comes to performance, we were off right, you know, right oh, across the team. Ryan Madison's boy. one. Ryan Madison's one who can hold his head high. Well, that's what we said I, in the free to one wasn't it? That we gave the Maddo the best on field, but after that, it just became so muddied. It was so hard to pick out enough good effort. We, we said Will Penasini tried hard, but had a few errors. Uh, it was just one of those games where, you know, 15 maybe blokes just weren't on the on the ball properly, and the Cowboys ran away for it because of it. Yeah, and, and I would guarantee, I'd be near confident in guaranteeing that if... Dylan Brown had a started at five eight. We still lose that game, and we still lose it comprehensively because there were just far too many issues across the park in that match. Mm-hmm. But then, even that aside, really to clarify, as I said, when we got to Dylan Brown being selected at at, at centre, we're about seven or eight deep in the selection options, and the proof is in the pudding this week because Tom Opperchick's back. And he's straight back to centre, and Dylan Brown is straight back to 5'8". And it's got nothing to do with criticisms. It's got nothing to do with being under pressure for past selections. I can tell you one thing. This this sort of pressure, if you're talking about BA being under pressure, I don't understand what pressure he, you'd think anyone would think he would be under. That As we were talking about before we, we started recording 40, the, the Eels... Uh, Five and three out of the first eight rounds. The Eels have not been out of the top eight since round one, 2019. They played last week was damn ordinary. Damn ordinary. But prior to that, they could have just as easily been undefeated. And again, I'm not I'm not going to detract from the fact that they didn't play well against the against the West Tigers. But guess what? Guess who was playing at five eight against the West Tigers? Mm-hmm. It wasn't Jake Arthur. No, no. But the team played damn ordinary exactly. football. 
And like, obviously, you want to have your best players in their preferred positions, pending the logistics of the of the team in the top thirty. But it just goes to show that even when you do have your spine intact, because that was one six seven nine full strength for Parramatta against the Tigers, uh, you know, just a, a lackluster effort across the team will still drag you down in a competition as competitive as the NRL. Yeah, and and by the way, when I say guess who was playing at five eight, I'm not talking about a criticism. It's, it's not a, exactly. It's not I'm a slander deal. That. It's just that it, 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 as a contrast to the Cowboys game, it shows you that even if you have your full strength spine, if the, if the team isn't on the boil, isn't you know ready to to rock and roll in a tough contest, they're going to lose. Correct, and that's and that's really the point that I wanted to hammer home in saying that that you know for that we were so deep in um, selection options, so far deep into the roster. And as I said, the fact that you've got Tom Opachik back this week and as soon as he's available, he's selected in the centres and Jake returns to the halves in New South Wales Cup. And if anyone suggests to BA that it was, you know he's been forced to make that change because of the backlash, again... <laughs> He would, he would rightly, rightly care less about a fan backlash, right? Now, don't take this the wrong way. The club cares about the opinions of fans. However, if we left team selections down to supporters, we would be in a world of pain. Any team would be in a world of pain if they allowed their supporters to have any say in team selections. We all have our favourite players. We all see things differently to other people. You are never going to get consensus in what fans see. Fans don't see what's been going on behind the scenes. Fans don't see whether a player is struggling with some aspect of the game. Fans don't see what's happening at training. Fans don't know what might be going on at home with a player. There's a whole lot of things that factor into play for a modern-day rugby league coach. And the only thing they need to worry about is selecting the team that's going to give the best possible performance. And I was saying to someone today, if, if we played boring football for the entire year and won every game by one point, I would care less because the, it wouldn't worry me if we played the least attractive football in the competition. If we were winning, that would be all that would matter to me as a supporter. And I'm hoping that that's all that matters, and I'm sure it is all that matters to the coaching staff and to the players, is to do their best to get the win. And if it's if it means that we are a forward-dominated team that gets over the top of opposing packs and sets it up that way, if, if we don't play expansive football, I couldn't care less. We just have to play the sort of football that will get the results. That's all that should matter to anyone playing the sort of football that gets the results. Anyway, that's my soapbox, mate. I've gone for probably about 20 to 25 minutes longer than I'd planned. But uh, I, I just wanted to get that off my chest at the start of this so that we can we can move on a bit and uh, start looking forward to this week and what's, what lies ahead for us. Now, I go get a good round off the chest every now and then, and that's uh, the tip sheets. Uh, I'm not sure if it's one a year is our allowance, but we'll, we'll give it one or two a year. So there you go. And we've kept the poor man waiting but 60s, I think it's time for you to introduce our next segment. Well, mate, it's. I think this had, has been one of the more extraordinary weeks in both 
the NRL and also for Parramatta. So let's bring in our, our man who's got everything from behind the mic. Spiro, what's happening, first of all, in the uh, world of Parramatta? Nice to chat, guys. Disappointing, obviously, off the back of last week's loss to the Cowboys up in Darwin. We, As I said last week, we have a good record up there, and our history in the NT is usually quite positive, but we our second loss there over the weekend. Plenty of criticism aimed at Jacob Arthur this week. You guys have covered that at length in the podcast, but... And no doubt I support what you've said. We've we've got to rally around our young blokes like that. Now I'm a young, you know, young guy like Jack in a different industry in the media and it can be very tough at times when you're competing with the best. But the best way to turn around from that is just to ignore everything you hear on social media, ignore the whispers in the corridors and the gossip and just focus on your job. And I'm sure Jake will do that. He's a very diligent young bloke and he's got huge wraps on him. And I'm sure we're going to see huge success from him down the track. And everyone have, has these little hiccups in their careers. We've seen Mitch Moses and Luke Brooks and other fantastic halves have the same sort of patches. But knowing Jake, he'll turn around, he'll come come out the back of this and um, actually improve and grow on it as a player and grow as a person as well because the NRL is a very fickle game for everyone involved across many different areas. But no doubt Jake will come back strong. Yeah, so... Now, on to last week's loss. What what were your takes from it, mate? Disappointing because we should be winning these sort of matches. When we come up against sides like the Cowboys, there should be two points in the bag and we should be confident that we can get those wins because come the end of the season, your final placings and when you sort of do a bit of a year in review, it's these games that you put a, a, a circle around and say, we should have won that game. That was a game we were expected to win. We were favourites going into it. We came off the back of a great win against Newcastle and should have just rolled on and replicated that against the Cowboys. But I also think it's important to put things in perspective because the Cowboys are now in the top four. They've had a fantastic start to the year. They've got Chad Townsend there. They've recruited fairly well. I thought preseason that the Cowboys were going to be the wooden spooners, but they've defied the odds. And they're looking like they may have a slot in the top eight and, and finish in that our finals bracket come the end of the season. And also, when you, you think about the other factors, the weather, the conditions suits the Cowboys. They're used to the warm temperatures. They train in that a couple times a week. That's what they're used to. We're used to cold weather down here. We're not used to playing in that humid heat. We don't do it frequently, maybe in a couple of preseason matches, but it's not common that we do it. And also, the fans. When you've got North Queensland playing in the Northern Territory, they're bound to have a few supporters and followers up there, whether they're people that have migrated across from Townsville to Darwin or whether they're just supporting the Cowboys because they're in that sort of region. So it seemed to me that at times the a lot of the people in the crowd were actually Cowboys supporters as well. So I know I that think, we had um, scheduling. I know, yeah. I was just going to say, I think Cole Felt said it straight after the match, that it was really like a home game for them and especially with the crowd support. So I think that pretty much, uh, you know, that that validates what you were saying there. So, yeah, so just putting things into perspective, all those little factors and the Cowboys haven't been as bad as we all thought to start the year. So disappointing loss. There were parts of our game which definitely need to be improved on. Otherwise, we're going to struggle this year. But on the whole, I think, um, yeah, it's one that we just want to put behind us and move forward. And talking about moving forward, last week, the Eels did their main 
training session. Uh, I was there. That was on the Wednesday last week. They've then caught the plane up to the Northern Territory and they've been involved in community visits and and um, open sessions and uh, open training sessions and and uh, autograph sessions, that, that sort of thing during the rest of the week in the lead-up to the game. This week... Back to uh, back to normal, mate. So, but how how do you think that's going to uh, feature for us in our preparations? Huge clash, battle of the West, always, and it always lives up to the hype. Fantastic clash out at the foot of the mountains. It's an away fixture for Parramatta, but no doubt we'll have plenty of blue and gold fans out there supporting the boys on Friday night. Big boost having Dylan Brown back in the halves, and that's nothing against Jacob Arthur at all whatsoever. All, I, all I'd like to say is that Dylan Brown was probably the inform six of the game. He was forced to play out of position because of our injuries, and we did a good job in having Jake Arthur was probably the best move and the best replacement that we could have. But putting Dillbags back in the halves with Mitch Moses, that combo that won a few games this season and showed a lot of promise, is going to be back together. And I think that's going to be a big key to our success on Friday night against Penrith. I think that uh, every time we play the Panthers, and we'll, get, we'll speak more about this in a minute, we always put up a good fight, even in the last couple of years when they've been sort of the ladder leaders and the informed team of the competition. We saw in the final series last year, only lost by two points. We lost by one point to them when we played at Penrith. Just, I think, when lockdown happened, there weren't any crowds at that match. And then the year before, we beat them at home and we lost to them away. But it just it proves that I think we've got their measure, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But massive game, and I think the inclusion of Dylan Brown is going to be a big help. You talked yeah. about that normalised week 60s. I do have a bone to pick with the NRL in regards to this, though. Uh, we're coming off uh, an annual tradition now of going to Darwin where we always play on a Saturday night up in the most testing conditions in the NRL. And uh, the, the, the draw they put out in the Infinite Wisdom features the Paramount Reels coming off a six-day turnaround up against the reigning premiers. When you know the game's going to be played on a Saturday in Darwin, and the Cowboys themselves get the full seven-day turnaround playing on a Saturday, I don't understand how it could be so hard to ensure that the Eels at least get a seven-day, if not eight-day turnaround coming out of our game against Darwin. Yeah, I, I, that's. I, I know this is something that we wanted to talk about, and I, I do have some very strong thoughts on the way that that the draw has us playing cow, the Cowboys as frequently as we have in recent times, but that's for another day. Um, but, yeah, it, it doesn't allow for what you need, I think, in terms of recovery from playing up there. Now, people might turn around and say, look, we're, we're playing under similar conditions whenever they go up to, uh, the northern, uh, up to uh, North Queensland. However, most teams are going up there like as a fly-in, fly-out. The NRL is well aware that the Eels go up there as part of a a bigger community event and they're up there for a period of time. And as we've just said, they move away from their normal structure to be able to do that. And yes, it's financially rewarding for the Eels to go up there because their partnership with the Northern Territory, but it has that flow on effect of having um, a drain on the team. And when you've got that shorter turnaround this week, it just makes it that much harder. And if I can just weigh into this as well, guys, from my experience, I've spoken to former players about this, notably Jamie Sowers, my colleague at 2GB. We discussed five-day turnarounds and what that meant as a player and playing Monday night football. And they hated it because 
based on what Jamie said, back when he was playing, they need around two days just to recover mm-hmm. from the one or from the game that they play. And then on top of that, then they need to go recovery. They need to go into the mindset to prepare for the next match. It's not enough time, even a six-day turnaround. It's only 24 hours more than a five-day turnaround, which in the scheme of things isn't much at all. And don't forget either that we were coming off the back of a six-day turnaround with um, the Newcastle match, correct? Because we played Newcastle on the Sunday yes, and we played on the Saturday. So it's, it is definitely a point of contention, especially when you're flying home on red-eye flights, which is what Parramatta did. They got on a plane at 1.30 a.m. after their game against the Cowboys to fly back to Sydney. That's very disruptive. It throws you. And I know night shifts and working on hours and being up different uh, time zones and stuff, it, it does really frustrate your, your body clock, and it takes a couple of days to recover from that. So hopefully that doesn't impact the way that we perform tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, fingers crossed, but it, they've got to do something about it and the NRL have to look into it. Well, let's just even take it back the, a week prior to that because we were the Monday game. So we had a short turnaround because we were the Monday game the week before. Then it's a six-day turnaround for the Newcastle game. Then a six-day turnaround for the Cowboys game. And now a six-day turnaround for the Penrith game. Now, I'm sure... Other teams are going to talk about stretches that they'll go through, which might be fairly similar. But when you throw in there a, a trip to Darwin as part of that, then it then it does become um, physically draining. And um, and just so people have got some sort of idea, the NRL clubs generally work around the first two days of the week are that recovery period for the players. So they're generally not required to train for uh, you know like as in a normal training session. For those two days, they'll they'll do uh, they'll do some recovery. They might have a meeting, what have you. But that's their time. That's their their time down. Then they'll get. At, so you start to work this into a, a five or six day turnaround. So day three, you'd be looking at the main session of the week. Day four is probably a rest day for an NRL team after their after their training day. Day five is the captain's run, and day six, match day. So that's the sort of turnaround that you'd be looking at. So that's that's basically what the what the Eels would, were looking at this week, that sort, of, that sort of rundown. And all clubs are looking at that. And if you're looking at a five-day turnaround, it's, it squeezes even tighter because mm. if you're playing on a Sunday and then you've got to play um, on a Friday – I don't know how you fit that in. You're basically you're basically looking at a main session on a Wednesday and a captain's run on a Thursday, and that's and, it. That's your that's your that's your that's your prep for the week. The players hate it, as I said, from my experience speaking to Jamie, even speaking to Shane Flanagan as a coach. The coaches and players really don't like a five day turnaround. Six days, as I said, it's only twenty four hours more. And considering. In this day and age, the amount of strength, conditioning, and the, how tight they are with their procedures, I think it'd be even more difficult now compared to when someone like Jamie was playing at the top level. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what's your what's your tip for this? Uh, week? I, you know what? I heard <clears throat> Buzz Rothfield on Box Leagues NRL three sixty say that he thinks that Parramatta will get the win against the Panthers, and I'm going to go with that as well trying impartially to to tip Parramatta because (laughs) I think we've got Penrith's measure. And I don't think it's spoken about enough, but we had their measure in the finals last year. 
We had their measure when we played them at Penrith in that regular season match last year. We had their measure the year before when we beat them at Combank. So at, at Bank, it was then Bank West. So I think we've got Penrith's measure. It's going to be very difficult on a Friday night off the back of the trip to Darwin in front of a Penrith-dominant crowd to get the win. But I think our boys will do it, especially given all the criticism that they've copped in the last couple of days off the back of their loss. And I think Parramatta will win. But they've got Penrith's measure. It's like we've got the Storm's measure. We win hard games, but we lose the easy games that we're meant to win. It's really funny as a Parramatta fan, but it's uh, it's also exciting because yeah, when you go into a been. game like tomorrow, knowing that you're a chance, it's a good feeling. There, there that's almost some... like a bit of black comedy, isn't it? <laughs> like when you say it's funny, it's, that's like that's black. No, humor. but I, I think I think there is there humor. is interesting logic there in that the Eels are a team that is built to take on and disrupt the two best teams in the competition in the Melbourne Storm and the Penrith Panthers. And you, we've seen that with Melbourne now three straight wins for the Eels, including games in Melbourne. You know, a, a traditional uh, absolute you know bastion or fortress for that team. And then even against Penrith, where the record isn't as fancy in terms of the wins and losses, the games against Penrith have been like fascinating. An 8-6 all-time sudden death final last year. Uh, obviously, we had that game, last regulation game of the season, where it was our reserve grade team against Penrith, so it doesn't really count. But Sparrow mentioned, 13-12, Penrith got ahead at Penrith, care of Mitch missing a late penalty goal. Uh, 16-10, we won at Parramatta. So the, the the only loss there that really stands out is that 20-2 to two loss where the non-strength Eels got gunned down at Penrith uh, in the back end of 2020. Aside from that, they've been really, really tight and, and hard-fought contests. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm having a bit of a, a, um, a rethink after, after watching training this week and, uh, and after thinking about past history and uh, both of you fellas have got me convinced now. I, I'm, I'm going to do a backflip on what I was originally going to select. Um, so now moving ahead, what a week in the NRL. Mm. I mean, like last weekend, if, if you were a punter and you were going for – the underdogs in in some all up bets. You would have been cleaning up deluxe. Uh, but let's start off with following up some news that we talked about with you last week, which was the grand final, the location of the grand finals, and PVL um, threatening to take it out of Sydney. Um, what's happening there, mate? Before we speak about GF and PVL, just on those upsets quickly. Before we ran out and or before kickoff in our game, I said to my father, who's a fanatical Parramatta fan, and my brother, fanatical Parramatta fan as well, I said, look, guys, I'm actually a little bit worried heading into this game now after the Bulldogs beat the Roosters and Broncos a few of the other upsets Sharks, we saw. Warriors, Broncos Raiders. and Sharks, yes. Yeah. I thought, geez, we're, we're going to struggle here, I think. I think this and when a lot of teams cause upsets, Parramatta are usually on the receiving end as well. So I wasn't really too surprised with the loss in the end because I actually thought pre-game, we're going to lose this game. Um, On to the grand final. <clears throat> Good news that uh, officially the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet and the ARL, uh, the chair of the ARL Commission, Peter Volandis, have agreed to keep the grand final in Sydney. Good news that the government are going to upgrade those suburban grounds as discussed previously, which I think is fantastic. And I want to acknowledge Peter Volandis and give him a little bit of a pat on the back here because he stood his ground. And as much as we discussed last week, and I agree with what you've said, 60s, that the, the GF has to stay in Sydney. It's the spiritual home of rugby league. And I get that. 
However, suburban footy, it's been such a, a draw card and a, a story of this year so far, seeing packed out local grounds, whether that be Brookvale, whether that be Penrith, Bluebet Stadium. And it's great to see even uh, Cronulla Shark Park with the, the Sharks returning there. So suburban footy is such an important part of our game and what we do. And it's good that finally the New South Wales government have agreed to upgrade all these stadiums because that's what the fans want. And if PVL didn't stand his ground, I highly doubt that the government would have pushed the button and agreed to doing what they're going to do. They can't officially announce it yet because it's going to get rubber stamped by the cabinet. However, it is sort of confirmed uh, that it'll go ahead. GF will stay here, great news, but also the benefit of that is off the back of Peter Volandi's and his hard work and hard negotiation style, which from what I know, guys, and a lot of people that I know that know Peter say that he's the most rigorous uh, negotiator that you'll ever come across, and it looks like he's used that to his advantage here. We're going to have brand-new suburban stadiums and have the the grand final still in uh, the Harbour City. Well, there's no doubt that he's got the track record when it's come to the hard-nosed negotiations, going right back to uh, redirecting the... NRL through that COVID period and getting matches, providing a firm restart date, getting matches done, basically leading sport in all of Australia, leading professional sport and and getting things back on on, uh, track. But there is, I am curious about one thing, which is that one of the grounds that they're talking about in terms of redeveloping is Leichhardt Oval. Now, no doubt I've gone on record before as saying I don't regard that as the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> I think it is a ground that is locked in the past in terms of its antiquated facilities. So I think the money was something that that ground needed. My only question is this, the West Tigers, and I know this is getting a little bit off topic when we're primarily a Parramatta podcast and we are talking about a bit of NRL. But one of the issues that I have with the West Tigers is that they don't have an identity. They play mm. out of Campbelltown. They play out of Parramatta Stadium or, or uh, Combank Stadium. They play out of Leichhardt Oval. Now, they are going to get a huge amount of money, evidently, allocated to revamp Leichhardt Oval for, what, three or four games a year? Now, I'm. this is where... I have big question marks about that ground receiving money for the upgrade. If they're going to upgrade that ground, then what the West Tigers need to do is bite the bullet and play all their matches there. Now, that might, seem, that might seem a harsh call, but you know, I look at this and I go, well, what about, like, they're, they're upgrading that. What about the people of the MacArthur region? Mm-hmm where the West Tigers also play. Why is it that the, the Leichhardt gets the, gets the money? They already have a top stadium they can play at, at, at uh, Combank Stadium. Now, there'd be other clubs that would be looking at that and going, hang on, they've got Combank they can play at. Now they're getting money to upgrade Leichhardt Oval. Will that mean that down the track they'll get more money for... Um, down at Campbelltown, does that mean they'll have three stadiums at their disposal? No, I don't think that will happen. So why Leichhardt out of their out of their grounds, and why invest that level of money for matches that are played like three or four matches played per season? Now, I'll take that all back if 
it said, well, that will be like a multi-purpose stadium, just like uh, Combat Stadium. We'll have a uh, there'll be a uh, one of the uh, major soccer teams will play out of that ground. There'll be rugby union played at that ground. Um, whatever the case may be, I don't see what what clubs are going to be based there. I know there mm. is. I know that there is lower division uh, soccer that's played there, and I know there is lower division rugby union that's played there. But until I saw a, uh, an overall plan, I don't like the money that would be invested in a ground like that for three to four top level NRL games a year. Mm. That, but, that's fair enough. You know, like as I said, I can understand that that ground needs money. But I'd like to see the fine details on how much public money is being spent on a ground where you've got a club that doesn't have an identity in terms of, well, that's not their only home. They, they're, a, they're a nomad team. So why is their money going into that ground? Now, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking on Balmain or, or West's supporters. I'm just saying I think, you know, like... I'm surprised that was one of the grounds that was identified. And probably I would have been less concerned if, if they had have said, well, I was going to Campbelltown because we've got a, a, a major soccer team that's based there as well as uh, the rugby league playing there. So they, that can be sold to me straight away, that it's mm-hmm. got dual, te- dual tenants. So, and they might turn around and say, and we're going to all the games that were played at um, that are played at Combank when we redevelop Campbelltown, we'll we'll take the games there. So there will be seven or eight games per year played at um, at Campbelltown, four games a year at Leichhardt. Bang, you've got more of an identity. So anyway, just just my little quick observation on that. So um, now, uh, but again, man, you can't deny. It. The power of Peter Valandis <laughs> when all when all said and done, um, and you've also we've also got this week those opportunities to have multiple grades on in the one day, like uh, school, like baby. we have this week with uh, Parramatta and Penrith. That's brilliant, boys. I'm really really looking forward to heading out to the foot of the mountains for this clash, not just for the first grade, but to see the jersey flag, to see the knock on effect New South Wales Cup, and then the first grade. I've got a schoolmate of mine playing in the flag side for Parramatta Tour Williams, who I haven't had the chance to see in person this year, so I'm really looking forward to seeing him in action. But then also watching the rest of that team and the knock-on effect boys, I haven't got to see them this year uh, because I haven't actually got out to many Eagles games. The only one I've been to was the Titans match where we had the NRLW beforehand, which was great. But I'm really keen to see some lower grades. I know that the Manly Warringah Seagulls are doing the same on Saturday afternoon. They play the Tigers at Brookvale, and they're going to have all three grades on the same day as well. But it's really exciting because most of the time, the timing or the scheduling of lower grades is during the day, odd times, and the locations are usually quite difficult to get to if you don't live out, you know, Kellyville or if you don't live out um, Ringrose Parkway, Wentworthville Way. So for me, it's it's fantastic. I get to see some of these boys in action, and then in a, in a couple of weeks again, on the Friday night when Para play Manly at uh, Combank with the New South Wales Cup before. So it's great. I love it. I want to put an idea to you, Spiro, mm. and maybe maybe you can have the ear of some of the powers that be through your media connection. Yep. I'd love to see 
this be the idea for retro round when we have it, mm. that where possible the draw is done so that the there's a majority of matches for especially for the I'm talking about the Sydney clubs. So you somehow draw the Sydney clubs playing each other, the ones that have got three grades, mm. and that a big focus of retro round is three grades of football where possible and the interstate teams that might be drawn to play against each other on those days, that they manage to stage three grades of football, like through local teams or whatever the case may be, so that it's like it is like a genuine trip back to the past. That you you've got That's the great. three grades. And then, you know, that we can have the all the clubs get on board. You can have the hot dog sellers. Yep. Out the front. <laughs> we can have we can have the nut sellers as well. Yeah, or sugar coated peanuts, <laughs> peanuts in the shell, sugar coated. We could sell um, cold pies and sausage rolls. <laughs> I don't think I don't you think know, that's changed too much. To be fair, let, let's you know, <laughs> um, this, there's got to be a place for all this in a retro oh, yeah. round. But in I all agree. seriousness, in all seriousness, like you know, could we do it in some way where you can maximise? the number of three-grade clashes in that weekend as part of Retro Round. I'm sure it's possible. I'm for sure. sure. The so only make, issue would be for – yeah, go on. I was just going to say, you can take that idea, you can present it, and you can even call it the Spiro Christopoulos <laughs> um, you know, initiative. You can take it away from me. If you can make it happen, nah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you to – for, for it to be the, the Spiro Christopoulos initiative. Well, I'm happy to credit the Cumberland Throw for all the wonderful things they're doing for coming up with idea because I wasn't around when retro footy was a thing. You guys were the ones that were there and lived through it, especially you 60s. I was going to um, say... I was going to say you might be adding on years onto forty. I'm, I'm starting to starting to get some treadmill. I guess I'm wearing the tires, but I'm not quite that old yet. No, <laughs> I needed to make that very clear. I needed to make that clear. So um, I and, reckon and, and we can money. add we can add splinters in the bum as part of <laughs> like you know as you go uh, through, as you go through the turnstile that yeah. you get a whack on the backside with a, a, a lump of rotting wood. And if you get a splinter, and so it's chance when you get the splinter in the bum, just like it was chance when you sat on the the old bench seats that were around the outside. What was of the it cum, Cumberland roulette, I suppose, as opposed to the Russian roulette? You got like a one in six chance of getting the rotten wood. Yeah, that's it. So great idea. Oh, mate, the you know the the, the retro experience, <laughs> it, it's got to be there. Kind of, I mean, yeah, you imagine. Um, the, the recruitment ads to get people to be the administrator of the the administer of the of, of the uh, of the the wooden um, rotting wood uh, spanking as people went through the case. Ah, <laughs> uh, you guys are funny. But in all seriousness, I think it's a brilliant idea. We do so many rounds. We had multicultural round brought in this year, which was a huge success. We do women in league round, Indigenous round, Anzac round. Um, we do plenty of them, and it's just great. It's such a fantastic thing for the game. We do the beanies for brain cancer round. Mm-hmm. I think that the next one that they need to introduce is retro round because it's such a great thing to go blast from the past. I know that Fox League do it, but that doesn't really count. It's not an official round by the yeah, NRL. Un- I want the NRL to, to make it make it official, you know, and do all those things that you said. Have the hot dog sellers and nut roasters. Maybe all the clubs that have retro jerseys, not the material might not be the same as the olden days, but 
at least the designs. We've seen Paris Indigenous jersey this week, which looks brilliant. I reckon there'd be some creative minds out there that would put together a wonderful, wonderful uh, retro jersey for all clubs. So I, I think it's the, the next the next big thing and the next big round which is going to actually come to fruition. So the minds will be of the NRL. Let's make it happen, Spiro. Like yes. start start the ball rolling. You know, mm. get get in uh, Ben Fordham's ear, get in get in Hadley's ear. You yep. know, <laughs> Jamie Soward. Yes, you know? like just go with Daryl the, big, the big man. Now the yes. big man, he'd 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 be all over that. Uh, oh, that he might man. want the he might want his pies a bit hotter, but I'm oh, sure he had the, the the prospect of the of the hot dogs and the and the the nuts. In the mm. shell, sugar coated, maybe you know, he'd be all over that. Now let's let's finish with what could just be a scoop that you're mm. gonna share with us. Papua New Guinea, they're bidding to become the eighteenth NRL team when the time comes. They're saying twenty twenty five they'll be able to play at the top level. I do a bit of work into Papua New Guinea with a radio station by the name of FM one hundred and they're red hot. They've got some connections within the PNG RFL, and it's a huge uh, time or huge week for them at the moment because they're getting ready to appoint their new head coach of the national team, and now this news that they're going to launch a bid to become a, an NRL team, and it's the biggest sport in the country over there. It's Everyone loves it. They worship rugby league. They watch all the games. They get really excited. They're fanatics. And when you speak on a Saturday morning, you think, wow, these guys know a lot about the sport. And it's so bizarre because you, we all think we're in the, our own little bubble within Sydney and within Australia with the, with the NRL, but they love it over there. And I think that they'd be a great addition as the 18th team. I don't know anything. I can't actually confirm that they will become the 18th NRL team. I'd like to say that they, they will, and I'd love them too. And I think that that's the best move for the NRL because you'll pack out stadiums every week. You'll get the support. We saw last week in the Super Rugby Pacific, the uh, Fijian Drua, who I've been and watched one of their games, and they get a huge contingent of Fijians that are based in Sydney. But last week they played in Fiji for the first time, and there were 15,000 people there. How often do you get 15,000 people at a rugby match in Sydney or uh, parts of Australia? So I think it's the best move for the NRL. Take another team offshore international and I know that it might be difficult logistically at times, but, hey, it's worth it. And it's a, a good thing, good way to give back to Papua New Guinea. They've given us so many great players over the years, and it'd be a wonderful way to acknowledge their contribution to the game and include them as part of the NRL. Oh, our good mate, Joey Grimer, has had a lot to do with Papua New Guinea, and I think that's both the men's and the women's program up there. So he'd probably be uh, jumping with joy at the prospect of, that happening he's uh he's passionate about his involvement with the with the club there maybe if they get in the he has a role i might i might look at um uh getting onto some printers and producing some joey grimer posters and corner the market up there that's um uh, yeah no he's look, a great man oh he, he is absolutely a great man and uh and as i said his his work that he's done with the papua new guinea sides up there has has been a big part of um, their surge as a as a nation in terms of what their the, their national teams have been producing. So uh, I'm I'm very keen to see where that goes, and uh, and hopefully that's a bit of a scoop for us there, mate. And fingers and what, crossed. And mate, what a um, what a what a point to finish 
um, beyond the mic on this week. Oh, it's a great way to finish up. Maybe a scoop. We're going to save this audio. And as yeah, we know, exactly. some of my predictions in the past have been on point. This one may come to fruition and be the same. But, yeah, Joey, I, I was actually last week watching some videos of him doing media up in Papua New Guinea a couple of years ago when he was doing work up there. And, yeah, had a huge involvement. And who knows, he might be their inaugural head coach, guys. Well, he's look, he's been there before with um, the London Broncos mm-hmm. yeah. over in the Super League. He's uh, He's been head coach at various levels um, over here in Australia and assistant coach at NRL level. So, look, who who knows? I'm, I'm sure there would be some sort of role that he, he might play or it might just be that he stays with his involvement with the national team. But, um, I, look, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he provides a bit of guidance. If they if they are going to be moving on this, that, um, you know, there'd be a little bit of uh, advice and guidance there from Joey, which should be uh, go a long way towards their success, I'm sure. So mate, um, we've got you. We've got you tipping the um, the eels for a win. We've got the scoop on Papua New Guinea. Um, we've got the work you're about to do with making retro round happen. So, um, so it's a it's a it's a big week at the moment, and, and you're going to have your schedule full in the coming weeks with so much on the agenda. Huge guys, and uh, go para. Hopefully, they get the win against Penrith and. Silence all the critics out there and hopefully press on with the job and go all the way this year. Oh, either way, Sounds win or loss, we'll have you back next week to break it all down, mate. Oh, As always, thanks well, for taking us behind news. the mic. Catch you, mate. <laughs> thanks, See thanks, you, mate. guys. Talk next week. And with behind the mic done, mate, and I don't think there's any significant or noteworthy news for the Paramaterials this week, so let's just get straight into the previews. Like we mentioned last week, just three grades of football from here on out until the NRLW 2022 kicks off, so we'll be uh, waiting for that with anticipation. But let's talk Parramatta Eels, starting with the jersey flag. We mentioned with Spiro, this is a triple header out of Bluebet Stadium. It all kicks off at 3.50pm in the jersey flag cup. Eels taking on the Panthers. And this is the one grade that the Panthers aren't top of the table in. They're only sitting in third place in this one. So, you know, easy task for the Eels. Uh, but they are currently outside the top eight, having dropped that game against the Canberra Raiders. I think they're in ninth spot this week. Um, they look quite similar to the team that did take on the Canberra Raiders. Uh, starting at fullback, you've got Corey Fenning. On the wings, it's Moala, Graham Talfa and Terrell Williams. Charlie Geimer and Jabril Kalachi are in the centres. Uh, Dontore Louie and Ethan Sanders are the 5 8 and halfback, respectively, in the front row. This is where the team is still a bit light, mate, uh, missing some of their uh, preferred starting forwards. Uh, they've got Peter Tateo moving from edge to middle to play prop forward. He'll partner Taylor Moala. And at dummy half, you have David Tui. Uh, usually they'd be cruising until he schmipped, but he seems like he was pretty banged up because he hasn't played since, what, the Dragons game or was it before that? He's been out for a fair bit. Uh, but still, Yeah, I, I've, lo- I've actually – he's been out that long that I've lost track of how long he's been it, out. It's, it's been over a month now. It's been quite a considerable amount of time. And speaking of Cruz, his brother Felix Natili Schmidt will be on the edge with Lachlan Blackburn on the opposite edge position. Brock Parker's lock forward. On the bench, it's Nick Lenars, Nick Raffle, Larry Moaga-Tutia and Reese Alderton. Jack Colavati has been named as 18th man. He could be a factor to come back into the starting lineup. Uh, I imagine if he is fit, he would be picked, given that he's been pretty handy for the team this year. And if he does, he'll probably start in place of maybe Taylor Moala and then push Moala to the bench and then maybe someone like Reese Alderton drops off, uh, depending on how Simon Wolford wants it all to play out. Yeah, you could imagine that um, for for Jack that it's... Um, you know, I, 
the possibility he could be called up for New South Wales Cup as he has been the previous couple of weeks. Um, now they had, I think there was a suspension in the New South Wales Cup team um, that it, might not it's, have been known before. It's all it's also veiled, mate. There is no transparency when it comes to injuries and suspension in the lower grades. So unless you're at the ground and you know there was an obvious tackle or injury that could get a player in trouble, whether it's just medically or in terms of suspensions. It's very Yeah, I'm near I'm it. near certain that there is a uh, suspension and just off the top of my head at the moment I can't think what player it is, but it might Edge, well be Edge Dan Keir, maybe he's missing in the New South Wales Cup this week. Yeah, no no I think was his was his a suspension from before or an injury from before because he didn't take his place last week. So, um, but no, there was a, an incident out of the the weekend's game that went on report, and I, I'm sure I heard that there was a um, suspension that came out of it. So, I will try and follow that one up. Um, but look, last week was probably their worst performance of the year. Um, they went went down to the Raiders, who'd previously been smashed um, in their uh, in their game the weekend before, and I think it was by Penrith. Yes, it was. It was, it, was a, it was a 66 to 14 or something like that shellacking. Yeah. And um, we, we yeah. did talk about being wary of the bounce back factor. When a team gets beaten that badly, usually you, you want to see them aim up the next week as the coach. And that certainly seemed to be a factor for the Parramatta Reels, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I mean, watching how Canberra played last week, it was hard to imagine them being the, um, the subject of that sort of thrashing because they were quite a useful team. By the same token, as I said, it was probably the worst performance from the Eels this season. This is a team that, re- win or loss, just competes every week, mm-hmm. and you can see the structures in their play. And they're like they are, they're a real. Um, uh, well, I, I'm just going to come back to that word competitive. They're a real competitive team that should play finals football. But last week, I I saw none of it. There was. There was minimal competing and even less completing, and I think that was the issue there. They they didn't complete their sets, which really means it's near impossible to compete if you're not completing your sets. And I'm sure no, I'm sure all the players would agree that it just wasn't their usual standard of football. So maybe, given that we saw similar results across all three grades last week. Uh, we might just put it down to one of those weeks. Yeah, sure, feels like it. Uh, we mentioned it in the review podcast. Just you know, the worst loss for all three grades, um, with a complete lack of energy across flag cup and NRL. So hopefully that's rectified. Starting with that game in the flag against the Panthers, like I said, kickoff at three fifty p.m. Uh, third place Panthers would be a very good. Uh, you know, we say litmus test, but uh, a good uh, scratching post for the Eels to see where they're at. Uh, but obviously, the forward pack is still fairly depleted, and that's a. A pretty uh, tough pill for Simon Wolford to swallow, but that's the reality of this cascading injury toll that starts in the NRL, mate. Yeah, yeah. So um, then we move on to the New South Wales Cup. And, um, uh, I mean, the, the Panthers are always the litmus test here, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're, they're the benchmark, consistently have been across a number of seasons now. This one kicks off at 5.20pm as part of that triple header out of Blue Bet. Uh, the Eels coming off a rough loss. But for the Panthers, who sit on top of the ladder, their last up start was a very solid victory of the Newtown Jets, a team that uh, got the Eels earlier in the season. Um, they won 26-12 last week over Newtown. 
and for the uh, Panthers, they're sitting on eight wins, uh, sorry, eight games, seven wins, and the one loss. I think they lost to the Bears. That's the one game they've dropped this year, and the Bears uh, put the Cleaners through a pretty depleted Parramatta outfit a few weeks back. But yeah, this one is going to be a big test. Looking at that Penrith team before we get to the Eels, there's a couple of uh, players you might have seen or, or heard of. Christian Crichton's played a little bit of NRL. Obviously, Rob Jennings has a, a fair bit of NRL caps to his name, mostly at South Sydney. Uh, going through, Sean O'Sullivan started the NRL in red-hot form, replacing the injured uh, Nathan Cleary. I think Eddie Blacker, Kurt Falls, Mitch Kenny, they've all had a handful of NRL experience here and there. Chris Smith, Jermaine Hopgood. So they've got just a, a really solid sprinkling of NRL experience alongside you know the younger prospects or the, the guys like, not this week, but in past, Sony Luke, the guys that have been cooking in reserve grade for a few years behind a stacked Penrith roster. Yeah, and and that's going to be the issue because uh, Parramatta's just starting to get some players back. But last week, the Eels were up against a Canberra team that was loaded with uh, first-grade experience similar to the um, the Penrith team. And, and just so just before we go into the Parramatta team this week, <clears throat> I was probably harsh in my assessment of how the Eels went in... New South Wales Cup last week because have a listen to the players that were running around for the Raiders last week in New South Wales Cup and then maybe try to make sense of who's being selected in their first first grade team. So the fullback was Charles Nickel Clockstad. Sebastian Chris was um, in the centres with Jared Croker. Um, Albert Hobawati was on the wing. Um, the halfback was Matt Frawley. Uh, the dummy half was Zach Wolford. The prop was Emre Gula. Um, former Parramatta uh, rising star Trey Mooney is um, in the back row. And coming off the bench for them was Sam Williams, who was playing first grade last year. That was a lot of first grade experience that was running around against uh, the Eels last week. And in contrast, there was, uh, apart from the likes of Mitch Rain and Jordan Rankin, there wasn't too much NRL experience running around for the Eels um, last week, and that's not going to change too much this week. No, we talked about that cascading injury toll uh, and probably the Cups feeling it the most in a way. They've got a back line that is nowhere near full strength and a forward pack that is nowhere near full strength. And last week, their playmaking core was nowhere near full strength. Uh, obviously boosted this week by the inclusion of Jake Arthur as we get to the team list. But yeah, Ryan Carr's done a pretty handy job with a, a very uh, inconsistent or, or nebulous or uh, fluid roster, I suppose. Uh, there, there's been a, a lot of uh, uh, liquidity to that roster, hasn't there? A lot of movements up and down and injuries and suspensions, and he's done a very reasonable job. But looking at the team that's taken the field this week, they go like this. At captain and fullback is Jordan Rankin. On the wings, Matthew Komalafi. And big inclusion here, but Sean Russell, he's back uh, getting some match fitness under his belt as he returns from a combined uh, broken rib and lung punctured injury sustained in round one. That's obviously a huge boost to the club in the short term and long term. Uh, in the centres, it's unchanged. Zach Sini and Samuel Luizu. In the halves, we mentioned he's back, but Jake Arthur is in the number seven. He'll partner Jack A. Williams at 5'8". In the front row, Tavita Talmapenu is one of the bookends alongside Wiramu Greg, Mitch Rain, the dummy half. In the back row, Elios Gaham is the uh, sort of staple back row, I suppose, on the right edge. He was very good num numerically last week, even despite the uh, big loss. But uh, we're missing edge players now. Jaden Yates, the utility forward, who's more at home in the middle 
as a dummy half or a small ball lock forward. He's going to be out on the edge this week at lock forwards. Kai Rodwell on the bench, Brendan Hands, Keaton Walkington-Meads, Luke Bain and Ryan Jones. Uh, Hands, obviously the utility guy. Walkington-Meads, Bain and Jones all playing the roles of middle forwards, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, they're taking on that pretty formidable Penrith outfit mate, and they're kicking off at 5.20pm. Uh, looking to bounce back from their big loss against the Raiders, but it is a very tough ask. Yeah, and if you were to take out uh, Jordan Rankin and Mitch Rain, that Parramatta team could probably qualify in for the old under-23s team. Uh, that'd be the old, old, old school gonna... Jersey flag, yeah, exactly. Uh, before they got uh, rebadged to the 21s, that'd be very close. Very close. Oh, look, most of, the, most of the players would be 22, 23 yeah. years of age and younger. Yep. So... It's uh, um, interesting question it's, for you. Matthew Komalafi yeah. has uh, been quite prolific on that left wing, but Sean Russell is not going to be playing right wing in the NRL. How do the wingers line up this week? Is, he, is it going to be a swapsies for Sean Russell to get him back to uh, being in contention for that left wing spot ASAP, or does Matt Komalafi hold down that left spot and you just play Russell on the right to get some sort of match fitness into him? You know, I'm I'm just trying to think how they lined up at training. And this is terrible. I'm, I'm now, uh, I'm now struggling to think where they were positioned. I'm going to guess at um, uh, Sean on the right. So Sean on the right, just getting uh, match fitness under his belt, and then backing him to just go into that left wing spot should it be available in the NRL. So. Yeah, good to see. I mean, good to see. Great to see Sean Russell back. That was one of the big, you know, uh, things from the injury report this week. Uh, and yeah, like we said, this is a very young flag. Uh, flag. That's how young it is. It's a very young cup outfit to the point of being a flag outfit. And if they can be competitive against the the Panthers, I'll be very happy this week. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's all the prelude, mate, to the big game. And the question about you raised that question about the bounce back. Are we ready to bounce back in the NRL? You, you, the discussion with um, uh, Spiro before had me leaning had me leaning towards. I, I actually on on the other podcast I'm on the Para podcast with uh, with the blokes that you know uh, Bertie Ham and Hamish. I actually tipped against Parramatta. I took the rare measures of tipping against the Eels. That's uh, how not not unenthused, but just I feel like. Uh, cynically realist I was coming into this, but fast forward a day or two later, I'm feeling, uh, you know, I got the hopium, I got the the real optimism starting to brim again. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I, after watching um, training this week, the main run, the captain's run, uh, after after our chat earlier today, after speaking with Spiro and some other people, yeah, I'm I've done a backflip on what my tip was going to be because I was actually going to tip the Panthers to win this, but I've, uh, I've had a change of heart. So um, yeah, mate, how about, how about running us through the, uh, the Parramatta lineup for this one? This one's kicking off at 7.55 PM. This will be obviously the primetime slot for channel nine, but you can also catch it simulcast on KO and Foxtel. Uh, Panthers got a couple of begins this week, mate. Uh, they're pretty much unchanged in terms of injuries, but they do get Brian Toto and Moses Leota back. Um, aside from that, I don't think we even need to go through this Penrith lineup. We know who they are. They won the premiership. We're in the grand final year before that. They, they've had such a fantastic run of injuries that we just come to expect them to be a century one to seventeen, or at least one to thirteen uh, in any given game. But for the Eels, 
captain the team from fullback Quentin Gufferson. We've got Hayes Perrin retaining his spot on the left wing after a tough day at the office, but we expected that, you know, I mean, the, the Cowboys went after him, but it's more of a logistical issue than anything else. On the other wing, Bailey Simonson. In the centres, Will Penasini will partner Bailey, but it's Tom Opacic coming back from that, uh, I don't know, stinger, nerve injury, whatever it was against the, the West Tigers, mate, the one that had him on the ground from a fend. Uh, when I initially thought that Joey, Joey Luciano Leilor must have given him like a forearm shiver or something like that. But thankfully, Tom is back. That's going to be a big boost to the back line. That means that Dylan Brown goes back into the halves of partner Mitchell Moses. Uh, the forward pack is unchanged this week. That means it's going to be Reg and Junes at 8 and 10. Reed Money, dummy half. Sean Lane as I, Papa Lee on the edges. And Nathan Brown lock forward. Bench also unchanged for that game against the Cowboys. Makahesi Makatoa, Ryan Madison, who was an outstanding Nick. Oregon Kafusi, or Kafusi, sorry, and Bryce Cartwright. Extended roster, Wiramu Gregg, Jake Arthur, Mitch Rain, Kai Rodwell, Samuel Luizu, Ellie Elsgaham, and Sean Russell. So I suppose there could be technically some shenanigans of Sean Russell coming into the mix, but I'm pretty certain the Eels will be 1-17. to Yeah, and I think that um, given the short turnaround, that's – because it's not ideal for the Eels in terms of um, that the physical side of it, the, the – the tiring that's happened, but I also I do wonder whether the positive is how quickly they get to be back on the field to let's say have some redemption um, for last week. It's um, I guess the the longer that you're sitting around waiting for the chance to play again, the worse that it is. So um, uh, yeah, I, look, in some senses, I'm I'm almost glad that it's a quick turnaround for them. So, um, yeah. Um, mate, uh, uh, how do you see the game play, played out? Because we've got to go back to winning the middle. I, I really feel that that was something that we failed to do last week. And, I mean, I know that we had players across the park that were below their best. But I don't think we set about to win the middle before we were looking at those shifts, it just felt like very early in the game we were we were hitting the ball out wide, and it seemed like the further we went wide, the more the errors happened. Um, You're hundred percent hundred percent right about trying to get back to fundamental football and winning through the middle. But if there was ever a team that you didn't want to have that assignment to do it against, it's a Penrith Panthers outfit looking to come back from what was their sloppiest performance in a long time against the Gold Coast Titans. It's as tough an assignment as there is in the NRL. But going back to what we talked about with Spiro, if you go back and look at the recent contest between these two teams, they've been just insane physical clashes in general. So maybe this is a case of iron sharpening iron, and maybe the Penrith Panthers are exactly what you need. Instead of a, a, a get-right game against Newcastle where you beat them up and, and you can go through your motions, uh, even if you do it correctly, you still maybe don't go through it with the intensity you want. The Penrith Panthers are on the other side of the coin Maybe that's exactly what this team needs. Go against the best and, you know, and reforge yourself and, and find that edge again. Yeah, well, mate, we've, we've got to find um, a, a way to be so much better than last week. And if that's a game that's played in the head before the players get in, onto the field, you'd have to say that there'd be no reason that they wouldn't be looking to lift against the Panthers. There'd be no reason why the forwards wouldn't be looking at the Penrith forwards and saying, this is our job this week, fellas. Mm-hmm. Like we, th- This is where we have to win the game. 
So, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd have to say that there's there's got to be that um, motivation. It has to be there. And, uh, I mean, you, you do sort of question why it isn't there all the time. Uh, we've got that track record of firing up against the top teams and being well off the pace of the teams that we should be beating. Um, you'd almost say that we play to the the standard of the opposition, and I think that, uh, I think that it's probably fair. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's I know Penrith had a I just mentioned had a very dusty game against the Gold Coast Titans. They still put them away. You know, they they still got the job done in the second half and ended up winning. Was it eighteen six, eighteen four? Yeah, something like that. Eighteen four. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know just. The positions we put ourselves in, more, more so against the West Tigers. I don't want to discredit what the Cowboys did. They played a very good game of football too. But that West Tigers game, even if we'll blow our best, we should have put the not put the cleanest from it. We should have got the job done. And we didn't. And yeah. and obviously the Cowboys game, there's some other factors there too. The weather. Uh, we got off to a sl- like, not a slow start in terms of possession, but just in terms of execution and game plan. Uh, but yeah, there is a, definitely a, a, an element of this team that plays up or down to their opposition. It's why we're so we're consistently like the the team that challenges Penrith from Melbourne, but also the team that can drop a couple of real head-scratching games against bottom eight teams. Yeah. So um, let's start off as we're analysing this and going, okay, the team's going to be focused. The team is likely to be following the game plan to a T. Um, the opposition is not going to allow the Eels to... Um, dictate terms and that will be right from the start so you'd have to say this is a game that's going to be won on its merit there's it's um who's our who's our referee this week so the bad news is that in the bunker we have ashley klein which means there's going to be at least one or two head scratches in terms of referrals or captain's challenges but gerard sutton's got the whistle as the main man okay so He's generally regarded as top of the tree. Yes, this this game has obviously been given top billing for the week because I think Sutton is the sort of de facto choice for big games, whether it's representative or NRL. Yeah, so um, you look at the at the Penrith spine, and it goes without any sort of question that that they've got. Great. Well, they're they're strong all over the park. It's, yeah. I can't. <laughs> it's, it's, I can't it's, get around. It's kind of a much of muchness to just pull out one positional group. It's like, yeah, the spine's pretty good, but in, in a way, I think the eels match up. I mean, in, across most positional groups at full strength, we match up fairly well. The spine's probably the one group where we haven't got any sort of big injuries. That means that you know, Gufferson v Edwards is a bit of a wash. Uh, Brown versus Luai equally so probably a wash. Uh, Cleary versus Moses, you'd probably give the nod to Cleary just because he's you know proven himself in a number of big games now, but it's that is still a very razor-thin margin in terms of impact on the game. And the one spot where, based on 2021, 2022 form, maybe you'd probably give the nod to the Panthers, Appy Coruscant has probably been a, a bit better than Reed this year. But, yeah, um, you know, certainly, it, certainly threatens more um, offensive running. running game. Yeah, exactly. But you I, know, let's, I, was, let, I, I, I break it down like this. The the players that I want completely shut out of the game um, is obviously Nathan Cleary and Isaiah Yo. Good cause. Um, I, I think you you shut down those two players and you're at least fifty percent of the way towards winning the game. 
my the next two players that concern me um, is uh, this might surprise people uh, Liam Martin and uh, and and I say that there because he's got such a strong running game that if people are not on top of that that he's he, he's just an awkward conveyance to tackle and I think he's he's a better worker than Kikau so I. I have greater concerns about him than I do about Kikau and uh, probably Coruscant. Coruscant is definitely definitely someone that I've got circled because if we get sloppy around the middle, he's going to absolutely gouge us. Yeah. So, um, so looking at that, I think you know if you if if BAs come up with a game plan that can manage to limit the impact of those players, as I said, we go a long way towards winning that. I'm concerned about um, in and around the ruck when we start to get a little a little bit tired. I'm more I'm more concerned about that against Penrith than I am about about them striking out wide. Um, I, I just think that that's where they're really going to get their roll on is is just hitting um, in behind the ruck mm-hmm. as we start to get a little bit tired. So. Um, and as far as I'm concerned with our with our forwards, well, look, it was said to me today, and I agree with it, at our best, and I really predicate it with this, at our best, we can beat any team in the competition. However, it's a question of are we going to produce our best and when we need to produce our best or close to it. and. Um, so I'd say our forwards have the potential to win the middle against the Panthers. Um, we are still down a little bit in troops in the back line. So um, as far as I'm concerned, the backs just have to do their job of, of making sure that they finish the task. If there's a, if there's a try-scoring opportunity, we can't afford to miss it. And we missed opportunities last week. Yeah, we had, a, we had a chance to go either, like, you know, some combination of one or two tries plus conversions up against the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah there were one or two of them out wide. Um, and, um, you know, that, that to me is their main job because if the forwards do theirs, there's going to be less pressure on the outside backs. The, the Panthers won't get that sort of roll on where they'll be able to, to – Cut, you know, get us for numbers out wide. Um, I know there's always that risk of being done for numbers uh, defensively, but every time that happens, it's where someone in towards the middle or the edge just hasn't done their job as they should. Mm-hmm. So, um, mate, my prediction um, I'm going to have the Eels to sneak home 18 16. Um, I'm going to take. Um, Gutherson as first try scorer and uh, best on field RCG I, I like it back on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday when I did the other podcast I think I tipped Penrith to win solidly I think to the tune of 26 or 28 to 16 um, I went for Ice first try scorer back then I'm going to stand by the Ice first try scorer uh, I think that comes back to playing hard and direct and then letting the halves or the dummy half hit that back rower uh, near the line and let him power over. But, yeah, I'm going to have that, like I said, that dose of hopium and, and you know, optimism hit me 
You said 1816. I'm going to go 1918 Mitchell Moses field goal uh, to be the difference. He obviously had that chance. We spoke about uh, earlier that chance last year to win the game with that uh, distant penalty goal from about 40 metres out. I think he'll go and get the, the desserts this time around. Uh, but hey, now, hang on. What was your what was your tip on the other podcast? I think I said twenty. I want to say twenty six sixteen or twenty eight sixteen. It was a, a solid win by Penrith. Okay. Now, so where will you where will you pat yourself on the back? Uh, I, I don't get any pats on the back for that that score margin if it if it eventuates because if you can't flip flop and you know have a, a punt both ways, or I suppose technically in the real world you can have a punt both ways. Just you very rarely come ahead when you do it. Okay, so you're going to throw your hat in the ring now as saying my ultimate prediction is 1918. 1918. I'm, I'm, I'm letting the optimism course through the veins, mate. I okay. Mean, it, right wouldn't, it wouldn't be the tip sheet without a bit of optimism, I suppose. We, uh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I think uh, more akin to what we talked about, getting back to playing direct and powerful football, that's why I think ice, or if it's not ice, I think a Ford goes over first, but I will tip Papali'i as my FTS. In terms of the player of the game, I do like the Reg pick. I think that's a, a very solid pick, and he's been uh, shy of last week. He's been putting out ridiculous numbers right up until that Darwin game. Uh, it does feel that for for the Eels to to win this game, you need to have your forwards putting out big numbers, and we saw Reg and Junior do that against them last year in the uh, Sudden Death Final. They both had outstanding games, but you also need one of your playmakers to step up, and that's why I think it's got to be Mitchell Moses. So I'm going to I'm yep. going to tip Mitch to have a big game, especially after I, I caught him out and I caught the entire spine out, to be fair, for being so passive in Darwin. I think he's going to get back to running the ball, to being aggressive and not necessarily overplaying his hand, but asking some real questions of the defense. Yep, yep. I think that's a good call as well. Uh, okay, mate. Yeah, so it, it, It's nice to wrap up the show on some optimism after, what, we had a big rant to start off the show. Then we had Spira come in, talk all things NRL and Parramatta. And then we had the, uh, a, a triple header preview all at, at points bet. So it's been a, a good podcast. Where are we going? We're just on an hour and a half now. So I actually thought we could run a lot longer. But thankfully, we managed to cram the previews in nice and neat. And yeah, it'll be good to see the games play out tomorrow. And hopefully, we've got some good content to cover come Friday night in the review podcast. Sounds good, mate. As Power to win. Yeah. Go the, <laughs> Go the Eels. As always, everyone that listens, thanks for stopping by. Feel free to join the conversation on thecumberlandfro.com or just give us a bit of a like and a subscribe on SoundCloud. Otherwise, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Cheers, everyone.